Hello and welcome to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I'm Lawrence Coletti. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. It's been a very long time. You know, I feel like uh, it's just been two years since last we spoke because it has. And so I have to admit, I have a little bit of a touched heart here today because this is our first On the Roads live since the pandemic began. Mm -hmm. We're actually sitting here at ABA Tech Show 2022. And last time we were here live was Tech Show 2020. Uh, did not know the world was going to change so much, but it is uh, so wonderful to be here with uh, friends, you know, that we've known over the years. And I, uh, quite honestly, I didn't realize how much I was going to miss everybody until we were all apart for so long. But uh, it's been surreal. It's been surreal seeing everybody again and uh, kind of catching up. It's uh, feels a little bit like a time warp, but uh, it's been good, and I feel a lot of goodwill around here. But anyway, we have some uh, special friends joining us today. Uh, we have Lori Gonzalez, and we have Damian. Real joining us, and we're going to be talking about a presentation that you all made today. But uh, first, why don't we introduce? Uh, you've been on the air before, but uh, it's been a while, so let's reintroduce you on the air. So, why don't we start with Lori Gonzalez? Of course, you're the uh, founder of Reina Corporation, an efficiency workflow expert. So, tell us about what you do. So, uh, it's easy, really boring medical record retrieval, and then side on the side, I like to consult with uh, all kinds of legal tech friends. So, if anybody's doing something cool, I'm testing it, trying it and probably yelling at them to do it differently. Uh, and then, you know, for more fun, I like to sit on weird boards and talk about regulatory reform and legal. All right, and Damien, you're the uh, VP of Litigation Workflow and Analytics Content over at Fastcase. So tell us about that. Sure. As after litigating for 15 years and being a coder since 1985, uh, my work at Fastcase is to take our 600 million judicial documents and lawyer file documents, extract the things that matter, and then feed them back to lawyers in the form of analytics and other insights. Okay, excellent. So I've got the perfect experts to talk about the topic that uh, you presented on. I realized the uh, the circle there, the circular logic. But uh, so the uh, fifty thousand foot view of this uh, session that you just presented is titled "Come Play in the Sandbox: How to Advance Legal Services Through Regulation." And so let's just get maybe uh, let's zoom way back and talk about the uh, the concept of the sandbox. Now, Lori, as you know, we've traveled together in the mm -hmm. past and we've yes. been uh, at these different events where people are trying to change some of the uh, rules of uh, professional conduct in order to allow lawyers to do certain other things to sort of enhance the offerings for law, especially on uh, for clients that are a little bit more on the, I guess, the lesser socioeconomic uh, scale there, trying to make sure that they get access to justice. So why don't we talk about the sandbox concept first? Damien actually had a way better definition of this, but I'm going to try to do his proud. It's literally just an experimental place to try things out. It's often regulated. So these definitely the, the legal sandboxes are being regulated uh, with the exception of Arizona, which is not doing a sandbox. They are just withdrawing uh, and have done away with rule 5.4, although they are requiring some licensure. So the idea is really take a dip into playing. I know we, we decided we don't like that term because this is really serious, but trying something new uh, under the guise of being controlled and in, in the sense that data has to be collected. So I think a lot of the sandboxes are requiring specific data to be tracked as they go along. 
so that we can monitor and see how things turn out. That's right. And I would agree with that. And uh, Jordan Furlong had a really good analogy that this is more of a laboratory than a sandbox. Uh, So a laboratory, you think about the scientific method, is that you uh, do experiments, uh, you collect data as you go along, and then at the end of the experiment, you'd be able to be able to analyze that data to see what worked, what didn't work, and whether your hypotheses were proved or whether more work needs to be done. So I think uh, Jordan Furlong's uh, laboratory analogy is much better than uh, what we're stuck with, which is the term sandbox. And agreed. So we're talking about a kind of a laboratory to test these new ideas. And so let's get into some of the specifics. We'll connect the dots here. So the the big hurdles right now that are slowing down the, the offering of legal services, especially for people on the poorer side of the equation, um, how what, what specific, I guess, uh, programs or askings are people making? Like what, what are these suggestions that they're making? They're putting in the sandbox and say, let's take a look at these. Let's experiment with these things. Let's try this differently. So I think probably one of the biggest is actually learning how to change the model of one-to-one. So in the legal field, we have one lawyer meets with one client. We do very, very little where it's one-to-many. And so really looking at that kind of idea, uh, 80 to 86%, those numbers are different depending on which study you look at, uh, of unmet needs. And not all of those are monetarily based. Uh, Some people are simply not coming to legal because we don't offer the kind of service they want. So I think one, we're seeing people want to jump in and try this one to many, but also we're seeing people just investing dollars with lawyers. And so that's a big part of our talk was um, there's dollars on the table to meet these needs that most lawyers can't access because of the regulations. And really, there's a a study in 2016 that says that 63% of the U.S. population could not afford to cover with savings an emergency of $500 or more. Or uh, so, and they don't have $500 worth of savings. So when you think about this access to justice, the 80 to 86%, those are the folks we're talking about. Those are the people that don't have an extra $500 for an emergency, much less legal uh, work. So you think about, okay, how much can $500 cover in legal tasks? Let's say that the lawyer charged as little as $100 an hour, which almost no, no lawyers no are lawyers that little. That. But even if it was, hypothetically, at, at five hours of work at a 63% of the population can't afford that five hours of work at $100 an hour. So this is really what we're talking about. This is the unmet need that no lawyer is going to drop their rates to below $100 an hour. And all of these, what do we do with those consumers? Do we just say, too bad, you don't get legal services? Or do we have a sandbox to be able to experiment to say, okay, for those folks that we don't want to serve, uh, how can they be served in a way that really protects them, uh, but also gives them the service that they need? Well, given that it does cost money for a lawyer to be there, you know, there's obviously the investment in their education. So there's that investment, but there's also overhead. You know, there's mm-hmm. also research time and that has to be paid for. What do you do? So what are the programs going into the sandbox that are specifically addressing that? Because I even read a study one time that lawyers can't even afford their own services. Uh, you know, it depends on where they are, they're you know, new in their career or whatnot. But, uh, but what, what do you have out there? So you talked about uh, many to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, doing that. But uh, what are some of the other things that are being tried out in these sandboxes that address that particular so, issue? So I think there's only like 12. So I've been looking at Arizona. There's, I think, 12 who have actually come in and applied for the license. Um, I, I actually, it's still new. I don't know what they're all doing. Damien? I, I would say that, uh, you know, the model of TurboTax for tax mm-hmm. consulting is a, is a good model to think about. So in, I, I use TurboTax for the last 20 years. And so uh, there are ways that I answer questions, yes, no, yes, no. And at some point they say, hey, maybe you want to talk to about it to talk to an accountant about this because this might be a little trickier than uh, the tax might, software might be able to do. You can imagine the same kind of analogy for these sandboxes. Uh, so I, as a yes-no expert system, go through and then they say, you know, this is a legal question that there is a nuance in the law that we can't account for. You should talk to a lawyer to be able to see that. So kind of off-ramping from the automated system, which is cheap and one-to-many, 
Uh, and then off-ramping from that to a one-to-one -one where the uh, circumstances uh, are saying that this is the right thing to do. Uh, so 96% of the questions I can answer yes, no, but that 4%, you need to talk to a lawyer to be able to answer those. So that, when you think about efficiency, that's a really more efficient way to go. And I would say, uh, so we actually have the very first, and I don't use this term often, you know, Lawrence, but we have the very first majority non-lawyer owner of a law firm here at Tech Show. Uh, Alan Rodriguez with 1400 is now, he is partnered with Mary Juton and they own Singular Law in Arizona. Uh, and so they are traditional legal services, but they are doing it under a much heavier focus on operations and efficiency. And so I think the other thing you're seeing is, I'm I'm super, super fan of these TurboTax and these kind of things, we use technology. But also I think we lack the skill set as lawyers typically to really focus hard in on workflows and process improvement and efficiency and innovation. And so we're actually seeing those models where people are partnering with people who have those skill sets and then building out a, a law firm that can focus more on those things, which also means changing the way we address fees, of course. So talking about subscription models and flat fees and those kind of things. I'm going to try to bring a little bit more of like kind of the day-to-day -day operations to the surface. And so, you know, you, you all are workflow experts, uh, but in particular as it pertains to our, uh, our, our topic right now, you know, what are the, um, what are the like main bottlenecks getting in the way? Mm. Well, as an admin guru, uh, if, if there is such a thing, you know, one of the things I love to talk about is we really focus when we start talking about automation or document automation, which is like the lowest hanging fruit we should ever talk about in legal we always focus top heavy. Lawyers focus on how can I make my work easier? And that's the really complicated things, complaints and motions for summary judgment and all these things that are really top heavy and very hard to automate because there's so much fact-based, so much individual case-based. If we actually focus on the lower level, the all of the cover letters you've ever sent. So uh, in legal, we always focus top down, I believe, when really we should be focusing bottom up. We don't think about mail very well. COVID has changed the game. We actually think about mail very differently now. But all of this improvement and efficiency really, for me, isn't in the billable hour. We have so much to do in terms of admin, but we have relied very heavily on people to do that work. So our support teams uh, do all of this work. We don't train them very well because we don't understand it very well. And so we just have all of this uh, really hefty people-forced labor that automation has solved in almost every industry. That's right. I would agree with that. And I would also say that uh, this provides an opportunity for the lawyers that would say, I have all of this knowledge stored in my brain that I want to be able to put it into processes to be able to help the younger lawyers or help the, uh, the people that are not lawyers that are aligned professionals to be able to help them do this. I, I found that the most uh, rewarding task for me is to take the 70-year-old veteran lawyer that wants to be able to provide essentially the next generation with all of that expertise. Uh, process is a way to do that. Process is a way to say, here are all the variables that I've seen through my 40 years of practice. And here's the, how things can go south and here's how things can go well. If you catalog those things and put them into a yes, no, TurboTax kind of analyses, um, that not only uh, is a way that they can be able to serve the next generation, but also a way that uh, the next generation can be able to uh, build upon that to make things even better. And when you're talking about knowledge management, knowledge databases, true, true, true knowledge management and decision trees, that's where tech and process shine. So being able to bring that into the forefront for even 
not the new lawyers, but the paralegal or the receptionist so that you can do away with some of those initial sort of entries that take away all the time. And once you start cataloging, uh, even the lawyer says, no, every case is a unique snowflake, starts to see the patterns and starts mm-hmm. to see, oh, actually, most of the cases do have this thing, uh, but there's only the rare exception. Uh, so that's when the eyes open up and see, realize, oh, we can uh, process, automate some of the things. And there are only a few things that I need to bespoke, uh, give one to one. So my last question for you, and Damien, you kind of cue this up for me a little bit here, but uh, you're talking about uh, the practitioners sharing their knowledge, the people out there in the field, the people out there, you know, the solos, the the mid-sized, the large firms. So uh, where where should they turn to uh, share some of this? Like, how do they input what they've learned into the system to try to push it to that next level? Where 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 uh, where would you recommend they reach out to? I would say that uh, there is strength in numbers, and so uh, bar associations are really good with gathering. Uh, they've for years they've said, you know, here's the practice manual for X area of law, and so. So uh, that is a way that I, as a lawyer, can be able to data dump all of my brain into uh, something that is going to benefit not just my solo small firm, but of course uh, the entire within the bar association. So um, so go to your bar association, be able to collaborate to count all the things that matter. Um, and by a uh, quick plug for Sally, S-A-L-I, which is the legal data standard, which is counting 10,000 things that matter. Uh, so amongst those, uh, bar associations are adopting them uh, to be able to say, work with Sally, work with your bar associations to count the things that matter and be able to provide uh, content for those expert systems. And I'm going to, I'm just in typical Lori fashion, going to go completely off your question. And I'm going to say, I'm going to encourage them not to brain dump what they already know, because there are already these existing places to do that. Although I totally agree on the bar association. I'd like to see lawyers walking out of their industry and going into other industries and start taking in knowledge of how other industries are doing this, because these problems are not unique and have been solved over and over again. We're just stuck because of the regulations. So I would also encourage them to get into the bars and start some new groups, uh, specifically get involved with the idea of changing regulations, because I think lawyers have a ton of money waiting from outside investors. And the minute we can start changing these regulations, lawyers can benefit from that and ultimately consumers. And to that that ends, 86% of the market is not being served right now. A uh, venture capitalist would look at that and say, that is a huge latent market that we can exploit. Uh, we as lawyers should be exploiting that before the PwCs and uh, before mm-hmm. the Deloitte's uh, start eating our lunch. Uh, so if, uh, if we don't serve that market, somebody else will. That is the accounting firms. So we should get on board now. And one of the ways to do that is through Sandbox. Well, we've uh, reached the end of the road for this episode, but I definitely want to thank Lori and Damien for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lawrence. It's always a pleasure. Likewise. And if our listeners, they have uh, follow-up questions or if they uh, want to get involved, how should they find you? So you can reach me on Twitter at at Rainacorp, R-A-Y-N-A-C-O-R-P, or shoot me an email. I'm going to regret this, but L-O-R-I at Rainacorp.com. Uh, and now I'm going to get a good email blocker. <laughs> and I'm, I'm uh, Twitter, first name, last name, Damien Real, uh, at Damien Real, and then uh, also on LinkedIn. Happy to answer both. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.